Welcome to the M3 Bare Essentials Podcast. My name is Malcolm Travers. Each Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, I invite the editors and contributors of Mail Media Mind to introduce a topic of their choosing. Our conversations are on social issues, entertainment, mental health, sexuality, relationships, or whatever makes us mad or makes the news. Each of those discussions is about three hours, but in the Bare Essentials Podcast, I edited it down to about two hours. If you would like to view the full podcast recording, visit MailMediaMind.com and subscribe to our YouTube channel. From YouTube, you should receive notifications when we go live, and you can comment and leave questions in the chat while we record. In this episode, Xavier Spann talks about the Peter Pan effect and how that can affect our lives and our relationships. Then, Jeffrey Roman brings up the issue of Hillary Clinton's health and the possible double standards between male and female candidates. Then, Lonnie Richardson discusses the ethics and efficacy of dating more than one person at a time. Gerald Hogan discusses how the availability of porn may affect relationships. Chris Impact Sutton discusses gender expression and the reasons some parents may enforce strict gender norms on their children. If you would like to suggest topics for the show, please visit MailMediaMind.com and click the Contact Us section, or email us at info at MailMediaMind.com. Now, enjoy the show. Sunday, September 18th, and welcome to the M3 Sunday Hangout. Okay, I'm Marco Estes, the M3 Entertainment Editor. Um, I am at this current time fawning over my new iPhone 7 Plus. Jeff Roman from Atlanta. Um... A community advocate and a researcher at Emory University. Hey guys, this is Lonnie. Um, I'm one of the M3 contributors as well as um, Lonnie's life lessons. Also a ment- uh, mental uh, health insurance specialist and all around great guy and who always have a lot of fucking questions. Hello, my name is Devon Branch. I'm an M3 contributor. Um, just an all-around good guy. Likes um, animes. Very much into geeky things. Um, also works out in the gym a lot. I'm Gerald Hogan. I'm a resident of Anniston, Alabama. 44-year-old guy. That um, I work as a dialysis nurse. Um, I like to get online and just have fun with you guys with Media Mind. Uh, just like to have fun. I like politics the most, so I'm kind of serious mind. But I rely on people like Lonnie and you other guys to um, lighten me up and keep me. Um, fun. <laughs> okay. My name is Xavier Spann here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a mental health professional. Uh, glad to see everybody today. Last week, we kind of touched on this concept of the Peter Pan effect. Um, we really didn't go into any in-depth conversation. I think we ended up spearheading it off into the whole issue about um, dealing with retirement and finances. But um, I want to go back to that topic, that ideology of Peter Pan effect. Now, I'm not sure if, if everybody's kind of like aware of what that is or what I mean when I say that or not. It was a concept that was brought to my attention by somebody else basically to say that um, it's like you lack the capacity to want to mature. You continue to want to live your life out in a somewhat immature way. And that maturity level can be different amongst different things. So like, for instance, you may not you may always want to be kind of kid-like when it comes down to your philosophies and ideologies about finances, or you may have that attitude about relationships. You just want all everything to be fun, fun, fun. 
and completely have a disregard for what's real, what gets serious. Now, it's not a truly, truly psychological concept or term. I think it's something that got started and then it kind of got coined and then it just kind of, the ball kept kind of progressing. Yeah. Now, when I was kind of reading some articles about it and looking at it um, in terms of how does this really impact us as gay men, it showed up a few times when you, if you just type that in, you know, Peter Pan, Faith and Gay Men, they talk about these old guys that are way beyond their prime, still trying to hold down bulldogs, um, they, you know, weekend after weekend, um, non-committal to relationships or priorities in that direction. Um, and so if you kind of think about it, we see that probably a lot more than we realize and just don't talk about it. We just don't realize there's a behind it. Think about sometimes some of the relationships we've been in with guys and we're like, you know, it's like they have a true fear of, you know, everything's going great in a relationship, but then once somebody starts saying the word relationship or boyfriend or commitment and monogamy or anything like that, then these people tend to go the other direction. They're like, okay, now they're ready to terminate the relationship or they're ready to end it. It was all great when we were just chilling, just hanging out, Netflix, whatever. That was fine. But once it gets to the point where you start sit, noticing that, okay, he's a, he's talking to me about spending holidays together, or he's uh, hanging out with me and my friends, or he's hanging out, I'm hanging out with him and his friends, then that person tends to get a little uncomfortable, and they're like, you know, I don't think this is working out. And yeah. it goes into that whole Peter Pan effect concept. Yeah. I, I guess my question to everyone is, do you think that it's a real thing? And if so, why? Like, where do you where do you get that idea from? I think one of the boundaries I reached with somebody was like having a a space in their space, like a drawer, like because you're coming over so much <laughs> that you might as well leave certain things there. And that was like a line too far. It's like, oh shit, <laughs> you, got, you have a whole like half of my drawer of shit of yours that you left over at my place. But anyway. um, but no, I mean, you know, fear of commitment or um. I guess midlife crises. <laughs> I think about those similar to that, where um, you realize like you have less life ahead of you than you have behind you, <laughs> which can be a little like disorienting. I mean, I could, as far as like fear, but I mean, yeah, like realizing that there are certain things in your life that you may never do, things that you've always wanted to do. And, um, you know, the death of dreams. <laughs> I mean, that could be very sobering. <laughs> So um, yeah, I, I get the uh, I get the inclination to want to um, deny certain realities, but but then uh, I guess my thought process is you I get that like I know okay so like midlife crisis is a real thing okay yeah. so like when you look at developmental psych midlife crisis is a real thing people really go through emotional psychological changes once they get to the point of considering midlife. Um, for men, it hits a lot more home than women if they're having children. Women with children, not so much. Um, yeah. They have more of the empty nest syndrome stuff, but um, men tend to go through the midlife crisis thing a lot greater. You know, they, they get to a certain age, you're like, why is grandpa trying to buy a red Lamborghini, you know, and cruise around town when he can barely hear? You know, that's a thing, and you grow out of that. Like, that is something you kind of progress yeah. as, as you get comfortable. 
the thing about the Peter Pan effect is you really, there is no clear definition of this person ever growing out of it. Hmm. It's like they were adolescents, and you know, I've heard different excuses for why it happened that way. But, you know, it's like they go through adolescence making X number of mistakes, trying different things out, not really knowing themselves, not really knowing what's for them or what they're for. And as they get older, they may progressively mature in their career. And that's that's fine. These people may be very well career oriented people with great jobs, but it's in their personal life that you see some of their immaturities. Um, hmm. We talk about this in Atlanta a lot. It's like we say that the reason that black people are single or the issue of relationships oftentimes that happen here is if you find something uh, off-putting or if you get into an argument or just something that you don't like about the relationship, you have five more guys that meet your criteria that you can go and talk to in Atlanta and you can move away from this one. Yeah. But with, with the Peter Pan effect in place, it's more of like, you know, you try to downplay the fact that there is some things that are just not going to be perfect or that bad things happen even in relationships. There's negativity that happens even in relationships, even if it's just a simple argument. Um, with the Peter Pan effect, that person is going to take any negative indiscretion in a relationship to the 10th degree and say, you know what? I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to go find somebody else. And they're forever jumping from relationship to relationship because of that inability to accept the fact that as a part of committal situation, part of that committal status means that you're going to have to be there for the thick and the thin. And the thick is going to happen uh, when the thin, you know, is not in place. There are going to be bad yeah. days. There may be a couple of bad days, but there are going to be plenty of good days too. But just realizing that everything, life is not just a bunch of good days, but there are mm -hmm. some bad ones in there. Here, you'll hear the voice of Chris Impact Sutton, who's the founder and editor-in-chief of the LGBT Update, and also an M3 contributor. Because, I mean, I guess kind of coming from the whole concept of the Peter Pan effect, I'm thinking that, do you, well, I'm believing that a cause of that is based off the fact that uh, society in a lot of ways, um, with media, has created like this um, this fairy tale expectation in terms of relationships. So, you know, growing up, you know, we see these uh, picture perfect images of what a relationship should look like um, and how it should play out from a very early age. And then we start basing our experiences in dating and relationships off of that a lot of times. And when it doesn't fit into those categories you know we tend to feel like oh well this relation must be broken or something must not be working right even though it's typically a more you know natural reflection reflection of what a relationship should look like we have these high end expectations i think that's also kind of amplified um in the whole lgbtq community because a lot of us don't have those early you know teenage experiences of dating someone of the same sex so when we are, you know, hitting our 20s, we're just kind of maybe getting into the whole realm of dating and seeing what a relationship looks like. And because we didn't have those earlier experiences during our adolescent childhood or whatever, um, again, we build these, you know, un, you know, reachable expectations a lot of times, or we just don't really understand the mechanisms of relationships. So I feel like that on top of kind of like, you know, just the heteronorm of what relationships look like, you know, in society and how media and how, you know, society in general just kind of reflects that a lot of times. I think that kind of plays into this whole Peter Pan effect. 
um, I guess you could say mindset. Um, but yeah. I like that. I like that. A you little said bit. That. I was going to say, I think, um, I mean, the Peter Pan effect is not necessarily completely new, though. I mean, because mm-hmm. if you think about it, I mean, that was the way that Michael Jackson had been described his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole concept of he really did believe that in his own way that he was Peter Pan mm-hmm. and that whole thing uh, because of things that he went through in his childhood and, you know, growing up being as successful and kind of being pushed as he was to be a success by his family and his father and whatnot, he began to slip back into that as he got to be older mm-hmm. into that kind of childlike state of, you know, kind of creating, you know, you know, I mean, he, he named his ranch Neverland. <laughs> I right. mean, and that was very real and very telling for mm-hmm. a lot of different reasons. And I think um, to go to, like when we talk about with a lot of us, um, I mean, you brought up a good point about trauma earlier. Um, yeah. I mean, we all experience trauma, trauma, is listed as the one thing that no one in society can or in existence can ever escape. We all will experience trauma in some type of way. It's basically about how we process it that mm-hmm. basically determines a lot of what happens to us as it relates to things like depression and other mental illnesses that are impacted by trauma. But mm-hmm. because, as you say, as gay men, we already have these kind of, you know, disconnect when, you know, we grow up and we are not affirmed in who we are. We're not taught. Like we're not raised to be gay men. We're raised mm-hmm. to be straight men. And then when we come to the realities of who we are, then yeah, there is this automatic disconnect because everything I've learned in my childhood now is gone. Mm-hmm. So it's like, then I have to reform, reshape, refigure out who I am, my identity. And in that some of us buy into what a lot of us even think, I mean, cause I know growing up, you know, in this culture and in, 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 in the gay, mainstream gay culture and I mean, just gay culture in general, whether black, white or whatever, you know, it is kind of this, we are value in our youth and Mm -hmm. I I always hear you know like once you hit 40 or whatever then you're over the hill and you're done and so a lot of us then do engage in this kind of Peter Pan-ish kind of thing Mm -hmm. like you like you know as Xavier said earlier you know I'm I'm, I'm still trying to hold on to my youth so I'm going to be sagging my pants at 45 years old sitting in bulldogs (laughs) with my hat turned backwards you know talking about you know what up and and whatever and not necessarily embracing my maturity Mm -hmm. so it really goes down to a whole lot of different things culturally that do impact us and then yeah you know when you throw the relationship thing on top of that then uh, that adds just a whole nother level uh because when we start talking about relationships relationships is like oh god that means i gotta grow up i have to be serious and so many of us have been trying to run away from that because growing up means i got responsibilities i gotta take care of stuff i gotta do all this stuff that i've always not been comfortable with i haven't been taught to do or i just don't want to do because it don't feel good it feels good to be young and happy and go out and just drink and party and do all this other stuff that mm-hmm. you know are the more happier sides of our lives and that's what peter pan kind of embraced it was the happiness and the freedom and the yay let's fly and all this other kind of stuff so mm-hmm. it leads kind of sometimes to when we talk about the lack of responsibility that some of us take in our lives and even in our actions that impact us on a very broad level yeah mm-hmm. but yeah. i also think as well is that um, on the flip side of that I think some of us had to grow up really quickly and mm-hmm. some of us have always worked. So when we get older, some of us, I think, convert back to now that we have the freedom and the liberties to do what we wanted to do when we were kids. A lot of us convert back to doing that. So I think that's the flip side. It's not that you don't want responsibility. It's that you have responsibilities I, for myself. I have responsibilities at an early fucking age. So now in my older as, as I get older, I find myself like thinking about growing fucking dreads. I'm like, Lonnie, do you really want fucking dreads? And thankfully, <laughs> I went bald. 
So the things that I couldn't do when I was younger because it was not for Jehovah's Witness, you couldn't do this. You had to have this type of image. You had to. It was just so many fucking rules and regulations. So now that I'm older, it's like I find myself wanting to do the things that I didn't have a chance to do when I was a kid. But then I have to reflect back like, is that yeah. Lonnie? Look at you. Like, dude, you don't look good doing that. So don't do it. Like mm. I wanted Transformers. I'm not gonna go out and buy some fucking Transformers and build Legos and shit. Nah, not ain't that. nothing wrong with that though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's actually healthy. <laughs> no, I'm I'm saying I know somebody who um literally has a room in their house that is named after them. He has built a town in this yeah, little room wrong. that he's named <laughs> after himself. It's like if it was my city, it'd be like Malcolmton. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he has it set up with like all kinds of like Transformers and He-Man and Thundercats, you know, GoBots, Transformers. Like, yeah. Uh, well, there's I think what Lonnie's saying. There's nothing wrong with toys, dude. There's nothing wrong with toys. And I think what Lonnie says, though, it makes a good point. I mean, and I think that kind of goes to that whole idea of the loss of innocence, because I know for a lot of us, especially, you know, I mean, being someone that, you know, went through some very traumatic things as a child down from molestation to raping on down when you lose your innocence and you didn't also. I mean, I had a younger brother that when I was nine, I was basically raising. So, yeah, you do go through that. And there's that when you lose your innocence at that age, there is a point as an adult where you kind of want to almost digress back to that because you know it's like that i did feel like as a child i missed some things i mean i didn't go to either one of my proms i mean because i was out on my own and i was working because you know i had left home at 17 so i mean there are a lot of things that now i mean and one of my one of the things that my therapist did recommend for me she was like what was the one thing that you enjoy as a child i used to love lego and she was like go buy yourself a set of legos and just literally sit down and play with them and i was like huh no she didn't (laughs) <laughs> yes, she did. Yes, she did. Um, I don't know. Xavier can kind of expand on this because I know, you know, he's done this definitely from the standpoint of a therapist and and dealing with people. But I know that was what my therapist told to me. I've Actually, also known um, people that have been told to do coloring books and other things. So it's like kind of trying to get people to embrace that Peter Pan almost in a healthy way. So mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, some toys. I mean, because I know somebody that literally they love aliens and they have all kind of alien figurines and dolls and just. I mean, and to look at it, you're almost like, okay, this is a grown-ass man. But on the same note, I have to respect that because that's his coping mechanism. Brian Lawson says, another idea is to be honest with yourself about what you want. Also, I recommend making a list of what you want or what you want to in a partner. That's realistic. Um, Jawan Blackman also says, good afternoon, fellas. You guys said a mouthful on the subject of the Peter Pan syndrome. This needs to be further explored and resolved. Too many men in our community are willingly, willingly choosing this. And he also says, Lana, ain't nothing wrong with them Legos. You forget you have friends that are into these activities. Be mindful. I know, right? That's why I, I was I'm like, what? Ain't nothing wrong with Legos. Ain't nothing wrong with comics, anime, <laughs> video games. There's nothing wrong with those th- th- with the grown man like in those days. I I I'm fully behind that. Nothing at all. <laughs> with with the, with the concept of Peter Pan effect, it's not to say that you take on. You're not. It's not to discredit saying that you engage in a hobby or an activity like being in the anime and comic books or anything like that. Yeah. That's not where the concept becomes problematic. Or even like uh, like Jeffrey said about the therapist telling him to go get the Legos because there isn't this thing as talk therapy. 
it's, it's part of like emotional pruning, essentially something that is supposed to happen, memory and emotional pruning. It's supposed to happen as you transition from young, as from child to young, to a teenager, to young adult, to adulthood. It's this system of thoughts and processes that we go through called emotional pruning, um, which also works on our memory. We forget certain things because they're not useful to us anymore. We remember other things that are more useful. Um, yeah. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, do you create in your life a set of maladaptive behaviors because you're trying to behave and act in the manner that you would have if you were 18, 19, or early 20s? Yeah. That's what it's saying. It's saying, are you walking away from a relationship because this person is not all about the party and the hangout and the fun, 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 because both of you have responsibilities in your lives and you need mm. to attend to those responsibilities um, before you start doing all this stuff. The outcome of it is usually that in it, different ways, you're going to see this manifest the way I see it. Like you sometimes they'll say, I've heard it mentioned, you'll see it like with uh, a really older guy and a really young guy. Now, that's not to always say it works this way, but there are some characteristic factors that can be brought out of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you may see it in a guy who, like I say, continuously fails to want to commit to anything, any kind of commitment. He shies away from it. Now, it can also manifest itself in how they deal with finances. Credit is one of those things that has it goes off of your agreement to pay things over a long period of time at a steady pay at a steady pay rate. Well, you have bad credit because you don't commit to paying for things. You get a car, you pay for it for about a year or two, then you get bored with it. You want the newest car and you stop making payments on that one. Or you trade this one in. You do these things that are ultimately detrimental to your financial situation. So it's do your behaviors come with a do your immature behaviors come with some maladaptive re repercussion? Right, right. Um, okay. Yeah, I know there are times, and, th and this is where it becomes a problem. Hmm. When you have a person say, yeah, like Lonnie mentioned, who grew up in a very strict, very confined sort of a childhood. And so therefore they were not able to explore their childhood or explore the things of their youth. Now, as an adult, I'm interested in doing those things. I, I want to see those things. Yeah. Um, that there's no, yeah. there's no issue there until those things become consuming and you fail to realize, yeah, I'm X number of years old and this is a bad look for me. You know, <laughs> this is not making me any more attractive to a future partner or making me any more available to one, or even for that matter, it's not advancing my career. This is not going to help me in the long run. Right. Yeah, I feel good momentarily, but it's like I ate this piece of cake, now what? Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My topic would be, um, I've been looking at all of the press that's been given lately to, um, of course, our presidential race, which, as I said before, I'm over to the Donald Trump show. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm wondering, um, like for me, and I guess, I, you know, being someone that now has been involved, you know, since I was able to vote and voting and really being involved in this process, um, I've never seen a, we, of course, we've never seen anything like we're seeing now with the politics, mm -hmm. but the, the focus on the health thing for me is really new and interesting. And I'm wondering yeah. if this was two men running versus a man and a woman, would we be having this whole conversation that's now going on related to health and fitness, mm. because I mean, everybody's talking about, you know, everything from age to possible other health things that might be going on. And at the end of the day, we've had a lot of presidents that have had health issues and 
this has never come up. So I'm right. just kind of curious about what everybody thinks about that. Yeah, I think in the age of, you know, more medical information, I mean, most people will just say more information that's out there, the better. Mm-hmm. But then you look at histories where I, I think it was two that they had in, in uh, particular. Um, was it FDR and having, you know, polio? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and eventually actually died in office as, you know, due to complications. So, like, I guess the thing is when they do the polling on people's health, it still doesn't really make people want to vote for the opponent, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know if it changes people's minds, especially when you get down to the general election. Yeah. Um, you know, people who are, like, Hillary supporters and think she's, like, deathly ill would rather, you know, campaign become president. Listen. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And she can come back as, like, an extra cast member to The Walking Dead as, like, yeah. a zombie. And I'm for her. Yeah, like, at the end yeah. of the day, it doesn't really change people's minds about the candidates. Now, maybe during the primary, when you have a host of candidates, you know. Um, but I have a question. Go ahead. Isn't this what we said about um, the other guy, Bernie Sanders, I think his name was, that mm-hmm. everybody was talking about his health. He doesn't look yeah. like he's able to run and now look. Mm. No, it's true. Are you um, kidding me? I think Bernie Sanders, I think there's just a bias that he looks old. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's not that but that's much like, older than Hillary. He's not. But, but that's like somebody having a BMW and having a... a, 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 a uh, BMW with a Ford engine inside of it. Hillary looks good on the outside, and yeah, she's quite smart and vicious, but is she really healthy? But we mm. had that same issue with Bernie Sanders, like, oh, he has a lot of good ideas, but he doesn't mm. look healthy. Mm. But that's this what, motherfucker um, is healthy. That's why you have a vice president on your ticket? Because <laughs> <laughs> life happens, death happens. It just does. But okay. even on top of that, just how you kind of described it, Lonnie, like, you know, if you package something well enough, you know, and you make it look appealing, you know, you can sell it off. That's the problem with you gay men. No! (laughs) Listen, it's not just the gay men voting in this election, so it's not just But But I think that's a part of it. Like, Hillary has the look, um, she has the name, you know, she even has, I guess you could say, the experience, too. So, like, she has just the package that I think is easier to sell to, like, the mass public. Well, how about this? Did you hear the conspiracy theory that um, she had a, a double lookalike? Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, they had her going to Chelsea's house, you know, after the nine eleven, like when she yeah came out. They said that was a double. She was actually in the hospital, <laughs> and they <laughs> that was a conspiracy theory because it's not really her. <laughs> yeah. Like I said again, I mean, I feel like I a lot. Yeah, there, there's articles out there. But I think, like, you know, going back to what you were saying about the polls mm-hmm. to, you know, all this talk about her being sick, I mean, I feel like, you know, a large part of this is just, again, for the media to kind of, you know, build higher ratings to get larger yeah. viewer audiences and just to make more money off of this election, you know, because, yeah. I mean, they're really hyping it up. I mean, they're the ones who are sharing all this, like, ludicrous information. Now, I will say that there is, like, a, I think a stronger bias um, against women um, in politics and in leadership in general, you know, because yeah. um, I like going back to the 2008 election um, when Hillary was on the ticket. Um, I remember having conversations with coworkers and family where it was like, you know what, I can't imagine a woman in the position 
of, of president of the United States because, you know, they use all these stereotypes like women are too emotional, you know, they're too caught up in their feelings and all this type of stuff. And, you know, my argument to that, you know, just from my own experiences, like, you know, um, I grew up in a household where my father was around, but my mother was kind of like, you know, the main provider um, for me as a child. Yeah. And I grew up in a community where women led, you know, they were the breadwinners, they were the mothers. And I mean, I guess you could say quote unquote fathers in a lot of households. Uh, you know, they were our teachers, our doctors. So it's like this whole mindset, this outdated mindset of like women being weaker and less than and, un, you know, and they're not capable of handling positions of leadership. Um, I think is the reason why so many people are trying to like hang on to this whole thing that Hillary is sick. You know, it's not so much that well, she's, you know, it's just the fact that she's a woman. You know, well, it was interesting. There was this um, there was this podcast that I was listening to. It was called the um, the Hidden Brain. It's funny that you um, mention, you know, I guess her family styles or our family styles mm. has a lot to do with the way that we view politics. Mm. And it is true that women can have power, but they can't have power the same way men have power. Mm. Typically, people don't accept it. And they said there are basically two models of power. One is, you know, the, I guess the authoritarian. Mm-hmm. You know, the one who basically demands respect or attention or things get done. But then there's another more like soft power where you actually build relationships, you know, allies and things like that. And I guess people typically, um, you know, it does split down into like, you know, analogies of families and, you know, saying like the Democrats are you know, the mommy party mm. <laughs> and the Republicans are the daddy party mm. and people use politics as a, I guess, a metaphor for family structures, you know, mm. one mm. more, um, one more pat- patriarchal and one more mm. patriarchal. Mm. But, and we use those models for, you know, liberal and conservative politics, mm. you know, tough love versus, you know, I guess coddling is what someone else would call yeah. it, whatever. Right. So it's interesting, especially if you look in the way that they actually purposefully spend money mm-hmm. for messages, which is, you know, their television ads or radio spots. Mm-hmm. Um, you can definitely see that, you know, every single ad that Hillary's ever run is like focusing on families and like yeah. getting, you know, saying like how my policies will affect this particular person. And usually it is families mm-hmm. that she's focusing on. And that's because they realize that their models of power for women is different. Mm. Like if you, if you see her as like the head of a family or household, mm. um, who's like nurturing or whatever, mm. that will give you more positive feedback. I don't know. The funny mm. thing is though, however, recently the polls have tightened. Yeah. Um, not like a whole bunch. I mean, she was like ahead by 10, but she's actually losing in some um, battleground yeah. space right now. Like Florida and Ohio right now. She's down like three, four points in each of them. And like I said, that goes back to what you were saying earlier. Like, I don't know, like when I see the polls, because there's so many polls and you got to look at like, you know, where are they actually polling? Like what people are they actually having? Yeah, now this is true. They, they're different models. You can have models of registered voters mm-hmm. or models of likely voters. Okay. And so the, the likely voter model tends to curve conservative a little bit, okay. just simply because Republicans have higher turnout in every election. Mm-hmm. Um, except, you know, in general elections, Democrats do come out more, but especially during midterm elections, Republicans turn out as sometimes twice as much yeah. as Democrats. Mm. So 
if you do the likely voter model, it tends to favor Republican a little bit. Right. But um, I just feel like, you know, I guess if there, there'll be any real kind of like telltale sign of how this election will turn out, even though I feel like, I want to say there's no chance in hell that Donald Trump can win, but then again, he made it this got, far. So. Like I said, this had, I this had like a... <laughs> like, oh, God. The chances of winning are above 40%. At yeah, so I mean, so that's, that's, that's pretty yeah. high. So my whole thing, but I feel like when the debates spark off, because the first debate is going to be in October, right? I think, right? Um, it's, it's 26. Yeah. 26 of this month? Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, okay, okay. So yeah, I feel like when the debates happen, because... I don't know. Like, I can't see Hillary like losing out to Donald Trump in the debates. But then again, Donald Trump is all about you know the I guess you could say the zingers and just saying ludicrous shit that you can't even really. Some every once in a while does not come off well. Right. Cause I saw yeah. them do a town hall meeting. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was gonna say Hillary tends to come across one. As even if she makes a mistake, it's still an informed mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like something that at least came from somewhere. And I right. to use Chris's model when you talk about, you know, people talking about, you know, women and power and that whole thing and everything that they just use as a negative. Actually, I see that right now in Donald Trump. I mean, mm-hmm. the emotion, the negative, I mean, all that mm-hmm. stuff about being unstable and all that. He's mm-hmm. the one that's coming across as that candidate. Right. And it's sad yeah, that, like you sure. said, um, Hillary is coming across as the more controlled one. Mm-hmm. He's coming across as the, the one that's out there just, just being crazy and saying stupid stuff to mm-hmm. evoke emotion. And it is interesting that you like you brought that up, that that's something that traditionally is looked at more mm-hmm. as, you know, things that women do or whatever. Right. But it's like for him, it's working. And I mean, and as it relates to like I was saying, the whole thing as it relates to either one of their health. I mean, that man wears more makeup than RuPaul. <laughs> I'm sorry, but most of the time, I think he's a wax figure, and he needs to be in Madame Tussauds. Wow. So I just think it's just, I mean, it's just interesting that, you know, so, you know, our, still our racial biases, and our racial biases, excuse me, our gender biases yeah. that exist, especially in, you know, an election that, you mm. know, really is important, and a lot of people don't really understand that. But it's like, I just think that it's just really, for me, just that whole comparison thing of, like you said, male versus female, and the way that they're looking at her versus the way they're looking at him. Yeah. When either way, I mean, I mean, like you yeah, said, you know, I mean, either one of them could get elected and drop dead the next day. Right, yeah. true, that's true. <laughs> I just don't feel like it's going to be that easy of a win for Hillary, simply because mm. Trump has gotten this far. Yeah. And I oh, really yeah. do think, with more and more, because I deal with the public and I deal with people, and constantly, not just even therapeutically, I mean, just community-based people. And I'm right. thinking to myself, people, honestly, there are people, I'm serious, educated, seemingly intelligent people who <laughs> honestly think yeah. Trump knows what he is talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that they embody the state of America mm-hmm. and a lot of people. And for that reason, I'm not going to just say Hillary got this one. I do think right. Trump can walk out there and shit on that stage. And <laughs> literally shit. And that will be spoke to me that it's day. true. Because I really do think this. Other countries have said this about America so many times. And it's, it's, I think it's more true now than it was 20 or 30 years ago. America is dumber than we used to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I try to stay away from this topic because I, I have some really bad concepts of what I think of America at this point. Mm-hmm. Because I really do think Americans you know, as a whole have lost their fucking mind. Mm-hmm. I really do think this. <laughs> like, I think they have yeah. literally 
literally smoked crack together. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Universal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I have seen and heard shit that is so fucking heinous that I'm like, did you really just yeah. say that to me right now? Did right. you really do that? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, hello, I'm Derek Anthony Jones, um, M3 contributor, <laughs> all around great, wonderful person. I don't know what these people have been telling you, but it's all lies. <laughs> lies, I tell you, lies. Well, we're <laughs> actually on we're actually on Lana's topic. <laughs> And Lonnie was asking about, um, I guess, the ethics of dating more than one person at once. And, so, and, and, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, it's your topic. Go ahead. Shit tastes nasty. Um, as I was just simply saying is that, for me, I think dating one, uh, three people at one time, and what I just simply mean by dating three people at one time, I just simply mean that, let's say you met somebody on Monday, and then you meet another person uh, Wednesday, and then another person Sunday. Um, it's okay, I think, to talk to those two different people. Yes, I have something on my face, Derek. Um, so it's okay to talk to those people. Um, I'm not saying going out having sex with people. I'm not saying um, have sex with three people at one time. I'm not saying be in a committed relationship with three people at one time. I'm just saying get to know three people and by the end of the um, end of the month or maybe leading into the second month, you should be able to narrow it down to just one person. So um, back in the day in my 20s and my, yeah, in my 20s, because I was in a committed relationship when I was 18. So in my 20s, um, a friend of mine told me, Lonnie, don't put all your eggs in one basket because if I met somebody on Monday and then I met another person during the week, I wouldn't talk to the other person. It's my energy on that one person. And unfortunately, sometimes it didn't work out between me and that other person. And here it is. I missed out on getting to know somebody else. So that's the only reason why I say you should. It's OK to date more than one person at a time, um, just in the getting to know phase. Um, yeah. But as I said, no, I agree my, with that. My, um... I've heard of it um, said like this. It, they called it a um, a triangle of um, I guess values that you have. So basically, they say you know time, you know time commitment, and you know emotional and physical intimacy, time and commitment were the three pillars of this triangle. And they're basically saying early on in a relationship, you should commit less time and energy to them. I mean, just because you're just getting to know them, and as you know as your emotional, physical intimacy increases, as the number of dates has increased or whatever, you do, or you should be expected to have higher levels of commitment. But I don't know, you know, committing to a single person when you first, you know, vibing, like that doesn't make much sense. Um, I think the first thing that we have to do is discuss definition. You said, you know, dating, but what does that mean when you say you're dating three people? Because what it means to you may not necessarily mean the same thing to the next person. Because again, we use a lot of language that can become interchangeable. I think to when me, you say, when you're saying when you're you dating. Say, when you say committed, what does that mean? Mm. Well, this is what I was okay. saying. Definition was, of date. Yeah. I was gonna say like dating to me is like you're applying for the position of a relationship, you're applying to be someone's boyfriend. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The metaphor of a job application. Yeah, you're, you're basically saying, okay, Thank we're, we're going to go out 
on dates or whatever. And even if, just like if you were looking for a new job, I don't think you just apply to one job. You apply to several different places and you take the best offer. You know, so that's what I consider dating. It's like applying to be someone's boyfriend. <laughs> so I hear y'all. Exactly. And as, as I said in the video, let people know that you're dating. Just don't, just don't leave out that information, especially here in Atlanta. There's only two degrees of separation here in Atlanta. So you need to be as honest as possible with people as well. But go yeah. ahead, Xavier. And I was saying the other point on commitment is the commitment level is whatever the two of you decide or whatever the three of you decide, <laughs> how many other people are in this relationship. But I mean, there should be some sort of understanding after you know, the application process, <laughs> whatever oh, you're saying about commitment. My question now boils down to is show me this in the practicality sense, because you're talking about dating three separate people. And I'm just using three because that was the first number that was brought up. But you're talking about dating three separate people. And then let's say we give this a month. Well, in a month, I go to work five days after week. <coughs> I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do other things. So how much time are you going to commit to each of those three people in order to get to know them and then start to thin this herd down? And then my experience with dealing with guys who tried that quote-unquote dating thing, they can't keep up with all of that. Mm -hmm. They'll fuck up eventually in a text message or even a phone call and say something to me that elicits the fact that they think they're talking to somebody else or they'll be like, oh, I sent that to the wrong person. Yeah, obviously you did. Um, and so I'm like, most of y'all don't have to carry the capacity to keep up with, most of the, with that much stuff at one time. Mm -hmm. Much less the ability to do it based off of real world practicalities of do you work a regular job now if you work for mcdonald's or logan's or something like that then you have the hours and the time to commit back and forth between being at work hey and, you know, where are y'all finding three people today that work and i'm just saying say that again what planet do you guys live on? Like, what do you mean? I don't know. Where do you find free people today? Okay, so this you is have Facebook, I, I, you have dating apps. So let me ask you this then. So I'm going to just ask, because this is still Lonnie's topic, so, so we can direct yeah. these questions at Lonnie. How do you find the time to date three people? Um, when I schedule permits. Um, so how often I'm, do you I'm, see these I guys? work Monday through Friday. Um, I normally don't go out on school night. So what I normally do, hey, I'm free Saturday or I'm free Sunday. So I make plans with an individual for that day. Um, for the next person, I may say, hey, well, I'm not free um, this week, but maybe next week we can get together, maybe Friday night. Is that cool with you? Yeah. And for the third person, I may say, okay, well, I'm free Saturday evening. Are you free? Or I may say I'm free Saturday morning. Would you like to meet for coffee? You know, just... Or maybe would you like to meet for a matinee? Mm. So how and often do you, see each other? you get to talk to people? They weed themselves out over time, um, and you get to just maybe you might just end up being friends with that person because maybe you're a bottom and they're a bottom. You like I don't fuck with another bottom. Yeah, but I'm yeah, saying like how? Yeah. I'm just saying how often do you say you go out? I can't understand what you're saying. I was asking you how often. Know how often you go out? Yeah, with each of the uh, guys that you're talking about, like on average, how often do you get to see them? It, it really depends on the schedule. Like Xavier was saying, it depends on availability. Uh, availability. And he, well, let's say, well, let's say, for instance, I'm talking to Xavier. 
Xavier is focused on his fucking career, although he says that he wants to date, but he's really focused on his career. Every time you turn around, he uh, maybe he has a school paper he has to do because he's in school, but he says that he really wants to get to know me. So I have to kind of work around his schedule and find out when he's free. And here it is. I find somebody else who kind of works Monday through Friday and off on the weekend. So they say, hey, Lonnie, would you like to hang out? Sure. Let's go on a date. Let's go catch a matinee movie. And that'd be that. And so when Xavier is free, I hang out with Xavier. As far as the time frame, how often do I hang out with these people? It really truly depends on the right. availability. Because I still think there is like the <laughs> risk of stretching yourself too thin amongst these people where you know, one person's interested in spending more time with you, but because you're seeing two other people, you find yourself less available than you could have been. I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't so much have an issue with that because uh, time is time. This is what I want to ask about because you said by the, you know, in, in a month's time, you should have a clearer picture of this person. And again, this is my own personal I'm okay. not saying this is true for everybody else. I need a okay. minimum of six months to make sure okay. a motherfucker is not sending his representative. Mm. Okay. So you saying that you will focus on one person for six months while these other people are trying to talk to you? I'm still what I'm saying is because you said that by the, you know, by a month's time, even dating these three people that by a month's time go by, you should have a clear picture of which one you want to date. That's what you said, right? That's that's a rough draft, but yes, that is okay. verbatim what I said. And, However, and, and I'm saying, okay, go ahead. And what I was saying is that I need a minimum of six months. If I'm dating one person, if mm -hmm. I'm dating three people, if I'm dating 15 people, I need six, six good months to go by for you to stop being polite. Okay. To, to borrow from the real world, I need you to stop being polite and start being real. I need to see who you actually are. I need to see that when we go out to dinner and the waiter gets your order wrong, you know, how do you react to that? Now, granted, I don't do a whole lot of going out to, um, you know, going out to dinner at nice restaurants because I work at McDonald's and that's not a real job. Basically, that if you have a job like McDonald's or working at Logan, where you have the time to deal with three separate people, because I have worked in food service, and I know that the majority of people who work on that level of food service do not work 40 hours a week. Now, to argue me on that point, you basically kiss my ass because I know better. <laughs> well, this is one question. Um, one question I have worked food service myself, not before, before I got my culinary degree. We will have to agree to take this as a individual experience situation. Yes. And, and, and I'm in the South, and we both know that our economies work completely different. That is true. And, right. and, and let me just say is that people, if dating one person at a time is good for you, I say go for it. Do it. Do you. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick to the rivers and streams that you're used to. So. All right, for these TLC throwbacks. <laughs> no no matter how shallow they might be. <laughs> 
I was gonna say another another thing about the dating process that I think is is valuable is getting trusted outside perspective. And I say trusted because you can't always bring whoever you're dating around your friends, but there's some there's a real value in getting outside opinions because infatuation, hormones, you know, sexual chemistry often clouds our judgment about people. Mm. <laughs> if you really want to why can't why? No, well, it, it's, it's actual fact. It's actual no, fact. No, 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 say, no, 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 no. My question to you hmm. is because you said you can't always bring somebody that you dating around your friends. Not everyone, Why no, not? because some people will have, you know, ill intentions for the people you're dating because they have conflicting. Then interests. they shouldn't be your friend. They, they the might be your friend. People have hidden agendas. No, people and, don't have agendas. Let, let's just say that before you were dating X. You know, you and your friend used to hang out on like every Friday night. They might not necessarily hate your boyfriend or want, you know, want you to separate, but they actually want time with you and they're in, in they have conflicted interests, is what I'm saying. Especially okay. if you know, certain, uh, certain people. <laughs> so I'm just saying, you know, I don't trust everybody. But I think there no, is. should you. Right, right. So I'm just I, saying there should be a, a short list of people. I say that list of people should. No, you know, fill up more, no more than a post-it note. If you're writing down these names, because it is a short well, list. You being generous. And uh, I, okay. I got two, I got two comments before go we ahead. go to the next thing. Um, Brian says the only issue with honesty is that it can bite you in the butt. So be as prepared for the consequences when you're honest and when you're dishonest. And ultimate bias, Spark J says money is not entirely wrong with that, whichever that was. Yeah. But 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 even though the honesty might bite you or it may do something negative or whatever whatever he just said or whatever i think in the long in, in the long run people will respect you more for being honest and upfront mm -hmm. i i wholeheartedly agree i think <laughs> yeah. you should always be honest devon you have a topic i had a conversation yesterday with somebody about um why men are afraid to go to the doctor or mm -hmm. they reach a certain age like going to get their prostate checked out, going to get their, you know, testicles checked out, because statistically, we get prostate cancer more than our Caucasian counterparts, and vice versa, they get testicle cancer more than us. And so also, did, just... Where did the topic come from, originally? Like, how did we it... Just, we, were just having, we were just having a conversation about, you know, because we wanted to have a, um, a men's health segment in M3, if there's not already one. Um... So that's where the subject came from. And we were like, well, why, you know, African-American men especially are afraid to go to the doctor once they, you know, even before 40 and after 40, like why are they so hesitant going to the doctor until it's about to either turn multiple colors or it's going to fall off. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that just happens to be, you know, a common thing with African-American men. It really is. So that's where, that's where the topic came from. Um, have you ever had an issue? Going to the doctor? No, because once it's, I'm in pain or something's wrong, um, I, if, I, if I can't figure it out over the counter or, you know, just by resting, I'm going to the doctor. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, one of the issues with specifically African American males and going to the doctor, like it was like kind of like we were talking earlier about mm -hmm. just roles and how we're taught, and I. The last research study I did at Emory, we actually asked that question, like, do men go to the doctors and why they don't? And a lot of them were 
really well literally we interviewed over 100 men and they all pretty much had the same answers and it was there was too much other shit going on in their lives to sometimes even really worry about that or what might be going on with their health um because if they were in their family units they were looked at as providers and leaders and it's kind of like almost that i have no time to deal with weakness or something that might even express or show weakness and i'm too busy trying to figure out how i'm gonna you know, take care of my family or do this or do that. And it was like, um, at the end of the day, they felt like health wise, it was okay to kind of put themselves on the back burner. Um, and some of it also deals with a mistrust of just general, you know, medical establishments in general. I mean, so it kind of runs deep on a couple of different levels. Guys out there, they're are stubborn and they don't, especially about getting their prostate checked is it, in it. It's straight men who feel like they're going to be emasculated if the doctor sticks their finger up there. <laughs> oh, that was like a, that was a family guy. <laughs> well, I, I, I've, I've heard the conversations. I've, you know, I'm just, I'm not, and I'm just sitting there going, no, he's not, he's not going to sit there and try to just do it out of pleasure. He's doing it because this, this is his profession. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> even if it's, and they say even if it's a female, they still put some kind of way. And I'm just sitting there like going, okay, well, um, but you still need to get it checked out. I mean, it, it's not something that you can avoid, you know, primarily. Yo, it's, it's not a good feeling, you know, if you're not used to it. It's not a good feeling. Um, <laughs> but overall, it's, it's a little bit, but they just felt like, oh, I feel violated. I feel emasculated. Can I, can I sue the doctor for sexual <laughs> harassment? What person asked that question? <laughs> I'm sitting there going, what? <laughs> Mm. Uh, they said like yeah, it was like a sexual assault or some shit. Yeah, sexual assault. It's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you know, I have a personal experience with this because um, I lost my father. Um, mm-hmm. um, he had high blood sugar um, and probably other health issues, and mm-hmm. he was one of those types, very old school. Um, just didn't believe in going to the doctor. Period. You know, I can't even really recall growing up. You know. Um, hearing him or even seeing him go to a doctor's appointment for anything, really. You know, he was one of the type of guys where, like you said, like, you know, like I'll sleep it off, you know, um, I'll, you know, get some orange juice, you know, drink some hot burners or whatever, you know, try to treat it at home, but not actually go to a medical professional. And yeah, um, he got to a point where his blood sugar got so high, uh, he passed out, he went into a coma. Um, He actually, you know, at that time, you know, he went to emergency because he was living on his own. And, uh, you know, he went to emergency. Uh, it seemed that he recovered, but he regained consciousness. He seemed to be stabilized. And literally, like, you know, one day he was stable, and the next day um, he died, you know. And mm-hmm. it was that quick. But a lot of it could have been prevented if he was going to the doctor on a regular basis. I mean, he passed when he mm-hmm. was basically at the age of, like, 68, 69. Um, so he was at an age where, you know, you have to – I mean, at any age, you should be aware – of your health, you know, you should be keeping up with, you know, how you're doing. I mean, like, I feel like you should at least see um, your primary care physician, I would say at least, you know, four or five times a year, you know, just for, you know, regular little checkups, even if you're not feeling sick or ill. Right. right. Um, But then you also have to put in play, um, you know, the, even though now I think it's become a little bit more accessible, but the difficulty for some people to get proper health insurance, you know, um, or just the lack of knowledge. Now it's become a lot more streamlined with, you know, the whole healthcare reform thing. Yeah. But you'll be surprised how many folks are still not fully aware of that or just don't put in the effort to look into that. Yeah, um, there's, mm-hmm. 
there's definitely like new practices that insurance companies are doing to mm. lower costs. It's actually interesting. They have one that deals with a technological thing. Basically, mm. um, you know, like those little tracking chips they put in dogs and cats to identify, you know, mm. they actually have like one of these that um, tests things like blood oxygen levels, mm. blood sugar, glucose levels and things like mm. that, that attaches to a smartwatch, you know, mm. and basically sends back data about, you know, blood pressure, you know, pulse, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you can actually get reduced rates on your insurance for healthy behaviors like exercise mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, and it, you know, instead of, you know, insurance being a, a you know, illness prevention model, being more a, a health, uh, a pro health model, you know, uh, bring, you know, realizing that you don't go to the doctor just when you're sick. Right. You go to the doctor to stay healthy. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's like the model. I think, the, the model that you're talking about your father might have had was mm. doctors are for when you get sick. Yeah. If even well, that. If you know, even like, that. For my father, was like, you pretty much got to be going to get deathbed. You know? Right. But right. that shouldn't be the model. Your, the model arm, is, your like, arm is hanging off. Literally. Your arm is hanging yeah. off. Yeah. It's kind of like if someone owned a car and you didn't go for regular oil changes, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. you're responsible for that car breaking down. Like, yeah. And it's here's the other, here's, a, here's another here's another thing yeah. um, as far as African American men and African Americans in general, we have not always had the best best history with the healthcare profession. Mm -hmm. There's been a number of occasions where you know somebody has decided we were you know it was okay to experiment on us without mm -hmm. our knowledge. Yeah. You know, and those, and, and and again, with sweeping things under the rug, you know, at least if you are, it kind of goes back to the, the the previous conversation we were having about being honest mm -hmm. and the consequences. Some mm -hmm. people decided to do this and it was fucked up, mm -hmm. but we're not going to do this no more. Not mm -hmm. we're going to sweep it under the rug and pretend like it didn't exist, mm -hmm. you know, because we need to build this bridge. I agree. I was one of those people. I didn't really, you know, I didn't really fuck with the doctors for a while until like mm. two, three years ago. I had a health scan. I was like, okay, yeah. So like right now I have five doctors. I can tell you all their names. I keep mm. all the information on me. Any one of them I got to call, they all know who I am. Um, and I there is an app now called My Chart. Mm. And you can download it from Google Store, Apple Store, and you can actually link your information from the doctors to your chart. You actually, you have your medical chart on your phone, basically. It oh, tells you everything that you've, um, all your health, like how many tests you've had done. Uh, you know, the whole ex the results of your examination, pretty much, basically. Right. So you right. had your last um, physical. You know, your your blood screenings, all of that. Yeah, I mean that's something. Um, yeah, I think Google's um, Google is doing. I think maybe Microsoft might have one. I know um, mm -hmm. Apple has. One. I mean, the truth is, you can. Yeah, I think there there will be a, a point at which, you know, you can, you know, do realize that it's not just about, um, you know, preventing illness. Like I said, and I just want to add one thing before we, yeah. we go on. Mm -hmm. go um, um, to what um, Derek was saying, um, I actually saw an interview with a doctor on YouTube. And it compared the white patients with diabetes to the black patients with diabetes. The doctors were so quick to tell the African-Americans that we would have to chop off your limbs 
versus telling the white patients that we can possibly save it. So especially, um, just to chime in, that Derek is absolutely right about uh, what he was saying. Mm. And I think that African-Americans, we really need to take control of our health um, and stop allowing doctors, like get a second opinion before yeah. you just listen to just one yeah. doctor. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. Like, I think there's, there's that real, um, uh, yeah, like I said, reluctance of um, certain members of my own family who, you know, they receive a certain treatment and, you know, they just don't trust it, mm-hmm. you know, like they, yeah. they feel like, um, and I, I, I mean, I'm all good for uh, skepticism somewhat, but yeah, I think there is just like a, a point at which, you know, you want to, I don't know, have some sort of faith in your medical professionals, you know, yeah. about whatever treatment you might be getting into. Um, but if you don't have a relationship was, uh, with your doctor, Malcolm, uh, of course you're going to have that. You're not going to have a relationship with a doctor to, to trust that doctor. You have to have a primary care physician and you have to develop a relationship with the doctor to make sure that that doctor has your best interest because these, doc- these doctors get paid yeah. for cutting shit off yeah. and for yeah. medication, prescribing medications for you. I see it every single day with people that call in and just just people develop get, get a primary care physician and make sure you develop a relationship with them. Yeah, like said earlier, a primary, a primary I love, care I love my, my primary care my, my primary physician, I love her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we hear <laughs> <laughs> about a lot of that's things. good. That's good. <laughs> now, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, having a good primary care physician. When we when you talk about just the distrust of, of medical professionals, and I mean that runs very deep in our communities, and it does have its roots in Tuskegee and some of the research, like Derek was er, referencing earlier, because mm-hmm. um, when you can't have a conversation with African Americans about health, um, and even for me working in the research arena, um, without bringing up Tuskegee, and it is about being very transparent about those conversations, and you know, um, to even go to Lonnie's point about you know. Yeah, you know, we have seen where doctors do give, um, there's a disparity in what they give, um, information that is given to um, African-Americans and other minorities versus sometimes what's given to, um, you know, Caucasian mother, you know, what can be considered the majority of the, of the population of the community. But I mean, like the primary study I'm working on right now at Emory is we're trying to figure out why is there such a big difference between uptake of medical care between white and black men, specifically with HIV, but um, it's a two-year study that we've engaged in, and we actually are interviewing people that are HIV positive and talking to them about, you know, why is it that you're not going into medical care or what are the issues? And, I mean, it's, a lot of this stuff is coming up. A lot of this mistrust, a lot of this, you know, I've never gone to the doctor. A lot of this, you know, my dad didn't go to the doctor, so why should I? You know, all these issues are just universal. And like I said, I mean, for me, like, a lot of what we experience from our, you know, fathers and whatnot does have long-reaching implications because I know this year I personally had to deal with finding out I had a blood clot and not understanding why Mm -hmm. I mean and where it came from and I've had to go through so many doctor's appointments and to the point I mean I had to go through full genetic testing because my father passed two years ago but my father's family there are some things medically there that I don't know and I don't know those things because they didn't see doctors right so I mean I've had to like literally go through this whole thing of 
like exposing myself in the sense of to a whole bunch of like I had to go see an oncologist, which is very uncomfortable because cancer runs very prevalent in my mother's family. And I know that. But because of the lack of relationship with my father, I didn't know that. So it's kind of like, you know, really going. And like you said, I mean, I have good primary health care doctor that I trusted. I've had a relationship with for 15 years. So, I mean, you know, but she had to walk me through this process because it was still very uncomfortable in having to really say, okay, this is something new and completely out of the field for me. I need to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it is something that, you know, definitely with moving forward, you know, we have to know what's going on with our bodies because if we don't, I mean, cause my father died and they keep telling me my father died at 58 mm-hmm. and they're like, that's young. And I didn't yeah. think about it. But it is. I mean, but at 58, he's dead and gone. And I mean, and he he was diabetic, but it wasn't the diabetes that took him out. They still don't know. You know, all they know is he, he had two massive strokes back to back and he was gone. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, there are far reaching implications there. Yeah. Does it, does, it, does it affect your personal relationships? You know, do do you think there's too much porn that it makes you ignore real people or? I was just kind of wondering how what's people's experience with porn on the on the panel. Jesus, um, <laughs> I'm still stuck on this picture. Like I don't know if y'all seen the topic picture on Facebook, but it's yeah, it's very eye catching. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I feel like well, I was gonna say I feel like when it comes to porn, um, and now because porn is like everywhere it's so accessible you turn around like i mean you don't even got to worry about going to tumblr or to a porn site just on facebook i mean it's 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 pornographic images you know erotic images are everywhere and i don't feel like it's really anything wrong with that as long as you're able to kind of separate you know the fantasy sometimes surrounding porn um for the reality of being a relationship i think some folks expect their relationships at least on a sexual level to basically parallel um, being in a porn movie, you know what I'm saying? Um, where and I mean, for some folks that might be true, you know. Um, but I think in in most cases, and yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna. I mean, some people, hey, you know, they get it on consistently and they do a little bit of everything. But I think um, porn can create like, you know, sometimes these these you know extreme expectations of what should be experienced in a relationship, you know, on a sexual level, you know? And uh, I, like I said, again, it's because porn is so accessible now, you know, like anytime you turn around, you're, you know, either seeing a clip or image of somebody doing something and it almost kind of makes you feel like, well, you know, like I want this too, you know? And sometimes it pushes people to go to those further extremes, like, you know, maybe cheating in a relationship or whatever, to, to, to obtain those experiences they're seeing, you know, in these porns or online or wherever. Um, I don't know, like, you know, for me personally, I want to say I have kind of like a control over how much I view porn, even though probably from the outside looking in, <laughs> I said that's not the case. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Because the thing of it is that, like, you know, like, I mean, like, because it's so accessible, like Tumblr, for instance, like, I love Tumblr. Um, and a large part of that is because of the porn. I wouldn't even say the porn. Well, I don't know. It, I, I'll, I'll say it's because of the nudes, at the very least, you know, however that falls. But, yeah, but the thing of it is that, like, because it's it's everywhere, like, I see it. And I, I'm at a point right now where it's like, I, I don't want to say I'm, com- like, completely 
unbothered by it, but typically I'm not really that heavily phased. Like I'll see it and I'll be like, okay, that's a nice pick, like, you know, reblog or whatever. And I'll, you know, go about my day. But at the same time, like, you know, I have to think about like when I'm at work, you know, um, like tum- scrolling Tumblr at work would be a very dangerous thing, <laughs> you know, or any so, public okay. space. I you think know. I saw the the meme that I liked most was not um, a human Italy. That, <laughs> well, I mean, I think the 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 meme they had was like of someone with a jack in the box, and they said this is like scrolling on Tumblr at work, where yeah. he's turning the box, and when it pops open, like dildos pop dildos. out. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's, like, it's true. It's like, I, I, like I, I follow a, a diverse set of people on Tumblr. Everybody I follow on Tumblr don't simply just reblog porn, but a yeah. lot of them do. And even some of the folks I follow who do, you know, they might share a lot of political you know, topics and a lot of social topics, you know, once in a while, you'll come across, you know, somebody spread eagle on the bed, you know, or, you know, whatever it may be. About Tumblr or Facebook? Or we're talking about Tumblr or both. We're talking about Tumblr, though, but it might as well be both. Right. Facebook (laughs) about um, health issues and stuff like that. Only thing I see is dick and ass. Like, No, I say it was well, also. I'm, 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 I'm confused. Yeah, and that's a whole another thing. Like, I, I think even the terminology of like thought nowadays is kind of like, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of tired because I mean, I don't like some of the most conservative folks that were folks that I thought were really conservative. Like, I find like either they share their Tumblr page with me, or I stumble across their Tumblr page, and I'm like, child, like pasta. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, waters run deep. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, so it. I think, I don't know. And that's, I, I don't know. It's, it's so many layers to it, but I feel like it can affect, you know, your, 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 your relationships, you know, your, 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 your day-to-day life. If you don't, if, if you're not able to kind of separate, um, I don't want to say that fantasy, but that side of your life, like it's okay, you know, watching, viewing, enjoying porn, but if it becomes to a point where like, your whole life becomes consumed by that. Like all, like like every, you know, hour of the day, you have to be like, you know, either. Well, that's you know, called addiction, and that's then called that's addiction. The problem. Yeah, and and I guess that's the thing. Yeah. So if it becomes addictive, then that's when it becomes a problem. I guess. Yeah. Gerald, I have a I have a question about your question. I want to sure. kind of turn it on its ear. Now you're talking about just watching porn, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that because of the uh, because of the technology and the access that we now have available, that not only can you just watch porn, but you can become your own porn star. Yes. Now very is true. that involved in your question as well? Because I mean, I've seen, I've come across a couple of movies with some dude that looked like Xavier. I know it's not Xavier. <laughs> Xavier would never do that. But I know he looked like him. I've watched them several times. Okay. What about that aspect of it and a relationship? I mean, I do know some people who are in a relationship and still perform all time. Okay, Xavier, come for me. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've been waiting on you to pop. I was going to wait. I do know some people who are in relationships who still do their jack-off yeah. performance or mm-hmm. whatever on Tumblr or whatever the, or X, yeah. X, X, 
X, I used to be like bear. Which one? I, X hamster, the, uh, X two. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of them now. Yeah. Right. When it comes to the dot com. Um, I don't know how early you would even discuss that. Like, you know, when you get to know somebody, like how much porn do you watch? Or what do you think is off limits when it comes to like, I guess, camming with other people, that sort of thing. All of it is all be figured out amongst the two of you all. But I was just kind of mm-hmm. curious how if like, cause some people feel like, you know, you, if you watch too much porn, it may be taken away from us, and I guess that would probably be the same concept. If you're camming, if you're having sex with a bunch of other people on camera, and it's well, I think that's that's just true of any relationship where you're gonna save some part of yourself for yourself. Hmm. You know, like they they don't have ownership of all your time, all your space, everything. So yeah, you're gonna take some time to pleasure yourself. I think that I think there is a balance that has to be struck. You know, that both people can be satisfied with. I don't think anyone, you know, is obligated to give up all of themselves to someone else, you know? Mm. Mm. I think in any area of life. But anyway, go ahead. But to say, uh, all right, for instance, if if you jacking off constantly and when it's time for you to perform with me, only thing I'm getting is a limp dick. Oh, it's a motherfucking problem. I said there are boundaries. Yeah. No, I'm saying there's 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 a negotiation that must be had. I'm not saying like you, you know, don't have any consideration for your partner. Mm. Like, and that would be something like if your partner came to you with a solid, you know, request of being like, you know, I think maybe we might have more sex if you masturbate it less, mm. and actually just coming correct and being just straightforward. Mm-hmm. And then but having then, a conversation about how much they masturbate or whatever. But doesn't that then lead into the question and the and the conversation about why they are turning to you yeah. as opposed to the reality which you are? And again, it, this is this is this is kind of the thing because again, porn is a fantasy. You know, yeah, nothing yeah. goes wrong in the porn movies because there's an edit button. <laughs> Sometimes things go wrong. I don't think that was expected. I think well, I saw one. I with that anyway, Lonnie. So, I mean, a healthy outlet, though. I mean, you know, if you're a type of person that you like to have, um, let's just say raw sex, um, reality, but you can you can look at it on porn. It might be an outlet to do that. Or if you like to, you know, fantasize about, let's just say. Um, old white guys mm-hmm. that you know you probably in real life never interact with. Somebody mute his a- phone. Hmm? Nothing. Keep going. Where are <laughs> Lonnie's trying to be. I'm, just, I'm oh. just saying it could be a good outlet, you know, or you know, for variety or things that you would never do in real life. Like let's just say yeah. anonymous sex or something. Um, mm-hmm. it might be a good outlet for something that you would never do in mm-hmm. real life. But I guess. You just have to be careful, like Malcolm said. There's got to be some balance to where you can't do that all the time. But I mean, you know, I was just wondering how much people look at it because it's like at this point, I, I mean, I, at some point you come across those type of images. I do at least every day, several times a day. Several and you start times. Thinking, well, you know, I stay like, looking at it. the same for everybody. Well, this is the thing I remember when they they tried to do a longitudinal um, study of the effects of pornography on men. They couldn't do the study properly because they couldn't get a large enough control group. 
You know, there weren't enough men who did not watch porn. There is a group of men who don't watch porn. <laughs> but it's around it's around eleven to ten percent of men. Oh, Living on an entirely different planet somewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, we do have natural. <laughs> they don't have the internet. Right, <laughs> that's what it is. I'm here buying physical DVDs and VHS tapes. Oh. I tell you, one person I, I tell you, one person I knew had such a complex about his penis that he could not watch porn because everyone in the porn had bigger dicks than him. I'm serious, like he just it, it turned wow. him off and gave who him. Who was like this? A, <laughs> stop, don't worry about who it was. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, there are people out there who it wasn't just like he doesn't like porn, it literally turns him yeah. off. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it, my thought about porn is this: not so much that you watch a lot of it or anything like that. I kind of go along with what Derek said about it being a fantasy, and I think that is kind of ingratiated its way into a lot of people's thought process mm-hmm. that love, relationships, sex, and all that stuff is what you see in a porn. Yeah. And they think that they can have that same thing. They mm-hmm. they they like looking for guys that you would see in a porn or. They expect every man to have a penis like a man in the porn. Yeah. Got the performance capabilities like this man in this porn. This porn. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, no, that shit's highly fucking unrealistic. Mm-hmm. He's in the porn because of his unique sexual capabilities. <laughs> right, exactly. And my other mm-hmm. thought is, and this is just my own little paranoid thought process, is when I meet a dude that is abnormally good in sex, my thought process is he's had a lot of practice. He's a hoe. Can't, you can't trust him. I also have to take into consideration, too, that they have Viagra or Cialis and also a penis pump as well. So, well, well that, of course, but that don't make you good. Like like this whole game is good. But so I mean, yeah, that makes you you know, you're a wreck. But I was going to bring up an example. So, uh, last night, kind of, you know, I guess sharing my thought journeys, adventures, experiences, or whatever. So, um, one of our like well-known kind of like kink fetish bars called Benjo's had a uh, a leather expo, and this wasn't just like you know, like but I saw the picture of John Tatum at the leather. You expo. saw some of them, right? You may see a few other things too. So this, this thing, they, they they did a full like grand opening because uh, this. You know, location Menjo's. It's it's a bar club within itself, but it's also attached to a hall that's attached to a separate bar. So they had the main bar where you know they have like dance floor and everything else going on. They had the a hall as like a leather kink vendors alley, and then they were doing the grand opening of this thing called the R and R Alley, which was like another kind of like leather fetish space or whatever. Um, and they also brought in. Um, Color X, which I don't know if y'all are familiar with, but you know, he's a well-known black, you know, gay porn star. And he has like, you know, the 10, 11 inch dick. I mean, he is the oh, Cutler X. Cutler X, yes, Cutler X. Cutler oh, I thought you said Cutler. Oh, well, I mean, yes, I am familiar with Cutler. So he was there. And the thing of it is that, again, you know, in my mind, I already have this kind of like, I guess you could say this, this, this assumption that if you work in porn, you mostly, more than likely, are like douchey or whatever, or you have an attitude, or you're very egotistical, or whatever, especially when you have like this huge dick, too, to add on to it. So, you know, I was just kind of like on this whole vibe where like, you know, like, I mean, he's here, and that's cute, but I'm not really trying to approach him or whatever. But my friends were like, fuck that, I'm going to go talk to him, see if I get a picture. And we went over, and I mean, he was like a sweetheart. He was so friendly. 
so humble, you know, so nice. He was willing to take pictures with everybody. Shit, low-key. Well, the point of it is he was willing to take pictures with everybody. He was just a really genuine, nice guy. And I think that because of these, you know, misconception when it comes to some, you know, porn stars that, you know, we look at them as like, you know, there's the, there are these uh, outer beings, like, you know, like, I don't know, like, you know, you don't, I think often at times you don't look at them as like real people, you know, um, who have lives and responsibilities and bills and everything like that. Yeah. So again, it, it, it's, it also kind of reflects that, like, you know, sometimes like that loss uh, parallel when it comes to the fantasy of porn and the reality of, you know, our day-to-day lives. And I, I think for a lot of people, they can't really separate that. Because for me, Mean Color X, you know, it was kind of like, oh, well, yes, he has this huge dick and he's been in all these movies, but, you know, he's just a regular guy. You know, this is his job. You know what I'm saying? This is not his life entirely, you know? Um, also, he looks really good for 52. He's 52 years old. And he has, like, an incredible body the whole night, you know? But, um, yeah. but yeah, you know. Real quick, have you been on the Hangouts with Ali Lopez that we've had? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony Banks, I mean, both of them. I mean, it's like, they're just cool Just real cool know? people, right. It's like, a lot of times, like you said, you, you almost kind of put people, porn stars, into a category of not being real, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I stopped doing that a long time ago. I met a, I met a few porn stars just mm-hmm. in the, just, you know, going to different leather events and stuff. I mm-hmm. actually had this story, and I'm not going to tell the whole entire story, mm-hmm. about the day I had lunch with Bobby Blake. All right. <laughs> and, and uh, well, me and a few other people, it wasn't just the me. Iconic Bobby Blake. I mean. Iconic. Yeah. <laughs> a kind Bobby Blake. Who uh, turns out to yeah. be a really nice, sweet guy. Mm-hmm. Once mm-hmm. he stopped being Bobby Blake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's yeah. like a part of that persona that's real, but yeah. yeah. But you know, I think that he was expecting. I think that when he, because because we went to lunch, there was a f- friend of mine who was in Chicago for IML, and he mm. was staying with me, and so he had been talking to Bobby Blake online, and that's how the whole lunch thing got set up. So it was me and the, my friend, and a couple of my club brothers. And so I think when Bobby showed up for lunch, he showed up with the understanding that these people were looking for Bobby Blake. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line, um, Mark, we're not here for that. Mm, You know, right? It's it's good that you're here and everything, but you know, as far as sexual beings go, you know, you 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 cute on your own realm, but you ain't me. Yeah, you know, Um, and once I think once that kind of happened, it took him back because he didn't really. I had to kind of draw him out into conversation because he kind of started to wilt away, and I got to see who the real person was mm, underneath. Yeah, it was kind of cool. I'll tell you all that story one day. It won't be today. All right, yeah. off the air. Off the air. Okay. Yeah, I want to hear about the um, some of that stuff you're not willing to talk about, Chris, on the air too. <laughs> oh let's, well, let's book, bookmark that for later. Right. It was an article released by the LA Times, um, kind of further diving into uh, the dynamics of uh, Queen Sugar and the depiction of Blue. Um, Blue plays as the son of one of the main characters. He's like. I want to say five, six, seven years old. 
He's a little yeah. young, adorable black boy. And right, right. his favorite toy um, and probably best friend is his Barbie doll named Kenya. Um, and <laughs> they've depicted that on the show multiple times. And what's beyond the fact that, you know, they're showcasing, you know, this father who loves his son unconditionally and his little black boy who's playing with his favorite little, you know, Barbie doll. Um, they also so far have made it into like a non-issue. Like you see this little boy playing with a Barbie doll and it's not like this big dramatic, you know, low-key shade, like a Tyler Perry moment. Right. right. Where it's like, oh my God, you know, you know, like, oh, we can't have no sisters and no punks. Like they don't stress it. You know, it's not a big deal, you know. Um, right. And I feel like they do that for a reason um, because often enough, you know, we have these these gender politics where, you know, boys should only do this, girls should only do this. Boys only play with boy toys, girls play with girl toys. Boys like blue, girls like pink. And we set up these these boundaries that, you know, because of your gender, you only could do and experience certain things when we know that's not the case, you know? So yeah. to have this huge, hugely successful show uh, to pick this little boy um, playing with his little Barbie doll and his father, who's, you know, the grade A hyper-masculine black father, um, you know, accept his son and embrace his son and not shame his son for playing with this doll, I think is really dope. Um, I don't know if that was a question. Oh, well, I guess I could turn it into a question. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, have any of you guys ever experienced anything like that where you were a young child, you know, maybe playing with girl toys or just doing something that didn't fit around your gender? Have you ever dealt with any form of shaming and how did you kind of deal with that? My mom read the fuck out of my ass one day. I was in my sister's room and we were just talking and I just absolutely picked up one of her dolls mm -hmm. and started calling her hair. And then my mom came around the corner and she went the fuck off to mm -hmm. the point where I never picked up any more of my sister's dolls ever since that mm -hmm. day after that. I mean, she called me all types and all types of nights just by me having a doll in my hand. Mm -hmm. And so, and yeah, so, yeah, but if you, if you tell her about that now, she'll feign ignorance. I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's how it always That was is. a certain a natural instinct, I guess, yeah. discourage that behavior. Yeah. I was about to say, and then the thing of it is, with that type of reaction at such a young age, that can be so traumatizing. Like, yeah. yeah. So it really scarred you really quick. I mean, because... Yeah. After I saw the, the the premiere episode of Queen Sugar, you know, I made a little post about it, and it really hit me. I mean, it hit me on so many levels. On, on, on you seen the? Had you seen that article before I posted it? I no, I think I saw it when you shared it. Okay, because yeah. I thought because when I read it, I thought about mm -hmm. it. yeah. Because I remember when we were talking about Queen Sugar. Yeah, the 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 reaction that you had to that. Yeah, because um, growing up, you know, and like you know. My mother and father were both, you know, in my life. They had prominent parts of my life. And, uh, you know, you know, at a very young age, like I, you know, clearly I, I didn't give a, a, a freak about sexuality or gender. I didn't even really understand what those things meant. You know, I just I was a kid who wanted to have fun, you know. So, um, like, uh, I had one experience where uh, one of my, you know, neighborhood friends who was, like, older than me, but she was a girl, and, you know, she had, like, always had, like, the Barbie dolls. And the Barbie, my whole thing was, like, what I used to kind of, like, I don't know, adore about Barbie dolls as a kid is that, like, you know, Barbie had, like, clothes. Like, not just painted on shit, but, like, real clothes. And, like, 
hair that you actually swing around and comb yeah. and shit. My GI Joes didn't have that. They were stiff. You know, <laughs> they were very flat. <laughs> so like, you know, Barbados had like clothing and hair and they had convertibles. I thought that was like really like just cool. So, yeah. um, but I also knew like on, you know, at an early age that, you know, boys don't play with Barbie dolls. You know, I heard that from my mother and my father, but I would still sneak and do that. Like I would still sneak and try to play, you know, with Barbie dolls when I could find them around. So my friend, my, my little neighborhood friend, she had a birthday party coming up and, you know, I used that as an excuse to trick my father in purchasing me a Barbie doll. Cause <laughs> I was saying I was getting it for, you know, the girl, you know, the friend or whatever, you know, and I played it off like I got a crush on a girl or whatever. So he believed all that bullshit. So, yeah. So the thing of it is, I got the dial and, you know, um, my mother and my father were divorced. So I would see my father on the weekends. So I think I brought the dial with me over to my father's over the weekends. You know, I hid in my little book bag or whatever. And, you know, I would play with it secretly in the room. And then when I was done playing with it, I would like shove it under the bed. So he was cleaning the room one day and he found the Barbie doll under the bed. And he came to me, he was like, what you doing with this doll? You know, and I was trying like, oh, you know, well, I was going to give it to, you know, my friend, but I forgot. He was like, you didn't forget. He was playing with this doll. You know, and like my father was, again, 6'6", you know, hyper-masculine, like just that, you know, blue-collar type dude. And like, he never really beat me but his voice, like his 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 sternness in his voice, look used to scare the shit out of me. You know, he would just talk to me in a certain way, and I would cry. You know, so he did one of those numbers. Like he started to chastise me for playing with his dial or whatever, and I broke down and I started crying or whatever, and he just kind of walked out the room. But from that day on, once again, it was just one of my many, I guess you could say, traumatic experiences growing up. You know, dealing with these. Uh, conflicts surrounding my sexuality and my gender. And I remember, like, from that day on, I was like, okay, I can't play with Barbie dolls. Like, I can't, if I do play on, I can't be caught, you know? And yeah. again, like, that level of shame and that level of fear of someone finding out, as a kid, like, you feel like that's the end of the world. You feel like when your parents are ashamed of you over anything, you feel like, well, your life is over or you're just a disappointment or whatever. And it, created me to have my own uh, forms of, I guess you could say, um, my misconceptions surrounding gender and sexuality. So I became that kid who would occasionally sometimes pick on other kids because they were feminine or because they had these traits that were supposed to be considered, you know, gender norms only for girls or whatever. And, you know, so like it's, it's something that exists in various different communities. And it's not only something that's isolated to the black community, but it is an issue. Because I'm, I'm a true believer that a child should be a child. You should never force your child to conform to any type of like gender dynamics or whatever, or you know, in anything. Like if your kid wants to express him or herself, you know, as long as they're not hurting anyone else, you know, as long as they're not just being like completely like disrespectful or whatever, then let them do that because what you're doing is you're allowing your child, like when you allow your child to, to be a child and to be themselves, um, you're allowing them to have their own identity. And that builds confidence, you know, yeah. self-awareness. So when they become adults, you know, um, kind of doing a throwback to what uh, I think Avery was bringing up earlier about, you know, the whole Peter Pan effect, you don't get these 50, 60, 70 year old men who are either dealing with some kind of form of, you know, self-hatred or trying to relive their childhood or 
just having a complete disconnect from who they are. Because I, I think it's nothing worse to see someone live their entire life in shame. I think that is mm -hmm. the worst way to experience life. Um, you know? But isn't that a parent's job to just have, to just have, what well, to make sure their child is conforming to society? No. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I was going to say that. I think it naturally happens. Because, I mean, like, no, I'll say that it's not. No, hold on, hold on, Gerald. Hold on, hold on, Gerald. Hold on. No, Lonnie. Let Gerald speak. No, I, I was talking you. first, and you said something, and I'm saying no. It is a parent's job to prepare children for the future, not to prepare uh -huh. them to conform. To prepare them to uh, to be who they are here to be. There are a lot not of necessarily. No, not I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. There are a lot of beliefs <laughs> that say that our children do not belong to us. They are leased uh -huh. to us for these 16, 17 years mm -hmm. to get them through those first years of life so that they can go out and become the person, the people that they are meant to be. No, if I'm the parent and I'm flipping the goddamn bill, I want to make sure that my child is living the example in which I think that they should live. The example in which that I am. Oh, hold on, let let let, let uh let, let let Gerald speak real quick though. I know he's been trying to get yeah. in. To say I, was, I was just gonna say, I was just gonna say, like you know, yeah, I remember like playing with my little my cousin's little head that had the little hair made like so you learn how to do hair and i remember being picked on about that and 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 to a, to a degree i'm be a cosmetologist one day i remember i remember that and and being picked on by my brothers and and when and when i was little and very elementary like one to gravitate towards doing the, the girl stuff mm -hmm. and played a little hand games with the girls and stuff like that and mm -hmm. and so eventually i kind of learned that to not get picked on, you know, to pick up those masculine, those masculine mm. behaviors that sports and do that kind of stuff. And so I did all of that. Picked on the other people that were, little, you know, I did that too. Mm. Until a certain, until you know, you kind of learn, like at a certain point, don't do things that hurt other people, you know. Yeah. And I, I learned that pretty early on. It wasn't. So I, I didn't. I was never really a, a big bully, but mm. you know, I learned how to crack. That's what. That's what we did. I grew up in an all-black, you know. Um, in, mm -hmm. in inner city Birmingham, so it's kind of like it's kind of like survival. Almost. It's a survival mechanism. And, um, That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say like on that point, what um, Lonnie so, might have been getting at was, yeah, I think you can at least let your child know that these are the social norms. You know, express yourself the way you feel. Yeah, I was gonna say. But yeah, be mechanism. Like yeah, he probably be aware that these behaviors might cause you. If you have a little boy, he's gonna get picked on if you don't act like a boy. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll say they, you should at least make your child aware of the fact that you may encounter, you know, friction mm -hmm. because of these behaviors. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a certain point at which I, I call it, um, I don't know, simple moralizing. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying about like boys playing with girl toys or whatever. They feel it's wrong. Not that it's not just about it being possibly detrimental, <sighs> to you, but they feel it's morally, you know, indefensible for you not to teach them properly mm. you know, like the way yeah. they should the way they should you know express their gender norms you know mm. i was very different as a kid my mom for halloween i never dressed up for halloween or whatever however some lady gave me a wig um and also a 
since my mother, my mother never celebrated Halloween. Oh shit, I can't even talk right now. Um, so <laughs> I got a wig and I got some makeup on, and I was supposed to be some type of fucking ghost or whatever. I think I was just a bad drag queen, like Wesley Snipes and Two One Food type of thing. Well, I wish However, we had. I wish we had. No, bitch. No. So anyway. I had this little wig that I would take out from time to time. I pretend I was Janet Jackson, and I pretend I was doing ple- uh, Pleasure Principle and Rhythm Nation, all that other bullshit mm-hmm. as a child. Um, but I can say it. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. That was shit. But what I think it is, what I think it is, is that it scares parents to see that their child is not living up to the example in which they had to live up to. And also, I think that they're, they're also afraid because not only are you a black male, you are a gay male. So that also puts on another fear, as well as parents sometimes want a child to carry on their name and their legacy and leave behind money that they really don't fucking have because most black people don't even know about health insurance <laughs> or, uh, or, or life insurance, I suppose. So you ain't leaving me shit, but $250 to fucking bury you, which your ass is about to get cremated, and you're fucking dead. That's all you leaving me, because you don't put everything in my goddamn name. But anyway, that's a different subject or whatever. <laughs> I love the uh, line of both of us had a chance. Yeah, I think there is something to the idea that, um, you know. But, the, but but just but, but just but, but just to bring it back, I'm I'm sorry, Michael. Just to bring it back, is that I think when a child stands up to their fucking parent and say, "No, bitch, this is me. Accept me for who I fucking am," because I'm gonna fucking play that baby doll that you motherfucking said I can't motherfucking play with. Because the well. parent will have more respect for that child that say, "Uh, no, I'm gonna play with this Barbara doll." And every time they see that Barbara doll, they, it's like, you know what? Let Chris. No, I think there's something to be said Chris about that baby doll. Uh, um, I think there's something to yeah. be said about the fact First, that your parents have thing. power over you. Maybe, maybe they don't own you, but they definitely there is a unbalance of power. <laughs> like you are living yeah. in their house, they're feeding let you. Their let me, let me, let yeah, me just say two things. I had an old Southern grandmother, and you know that all that thing that you just said about I will stand up to her and tell her this, that, the other, the third. Yeah, she wouldn't see that as strength. She would see that, okay, clearly I'm not hitting you with shit heavy enough. So exactly. to the middle of next week. But right. clearly you didn't see roots. You didn't see roots. You didn't see what Kuta Kente said. My name is Kuta Kente. And he yeah, they, yeah. And My grandmother was likely to, to put me the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, they moved, they moved from the belt to the, to the actual paddle. Yeah. The yeah, second man. thing is, while all y'all was trying to have, because I really didn't like Barbie, mm. the Misfit Styles from Jim and the Holograms. Yeah, yeah, for me. Yeah, I like because yeah, I, I didn't like the Holograms. I didn't like the Holograms either. I like the Misfits. Mm-hmm. The Holograms thing about love, which was cute and everything, but everything was like, you know, sandwiches and hearts <laughs> and bands and shit. But you know, I know I loved you for a reason, Chris. I know I loved you. (laughs) The misfits thing about life, and life is hard. And you know, yeah, they should have gone to jail for a lot of shit that they did. (laughs) Murder, but I'm still on their side. Yeah, I think the the thing I was getting at with uh, the thing Lonnie was saying, and it's kind of agreeing with him on 
on one point, which is that I think parents' primary responsibility to their children is helping them survive. Mm. I mean, at least shepherding them into adulthood. Like, if that is your one responsibility as a parent, is to make sure that they survive to adulthood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I think there is a point at which acting feminine as a male, as a black man, mm. might endanger your survival. I can see a parent being scared. This, let me finish. I was just saying, I can see a parent being scared, not necessarily angry at their child, mm. but afraid for their child's safety to mm. the point where they turn that sadness and fear into anger and lash out at them. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think in a lot of cases, you know, I was actually having this conversation with Jimmy on our podcast recording. A lot of times when someone becomes a parent, they're not necessarily ready to be a parent, you know? Yeah. Yeah, You know, you become a parent at like 17 or 18. You don't know shit about the world yet. Mm -hmm. But now you have this person that you're responsible for. I mean, I don't, Yeah, you know, some people are just doing the best they can, honestly. Right. <laughs> but, it, 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 but, it, it, but I will say. Go ahead, Lon. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, no, I was just simply going to say is that when a parent is a parent at a young age and they have to take on life responsibilities, they are trying to repair their child for the hardships that are coming. And even though they make some bad mistakes, but they're just simply trying to do the best that they can because as you said, that parenting does not come with the fucking manual. No, no, no. no. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and, and, yeah, and I mean, I, I totally understand that. I mean, um, my father, you know, he came from the rural South, you know, North Carolina, you know, had uh, five siblings, lived in like a one bedroom home and he dealt with, like he was born in 1939. So he experienced the Southern form of racism, segregation, all of that. And when he made it here, you know, he was successfully able to graduate from college. He became a college mathematician. But his whole thing in terms of what he was trying to teach me as a man is that life is going to be hard. You know, no one is going to pamper you. No one is going to cradle you. And you have to know how to survive in this world, you know, or you won't make it. You know, and he was very straightforward with that. He didn't sugarcoat it. And he would tell me these things like, you know, when I was four or five or six years old. So I, I knew when he would chastise me about a lot of things. I mean, not only with the whole dial situation, but I think he was probably one of the first, I don't know, pivotal people within my life who came forward and was just straightforward with telling me that, hey, I think you're gay. You know, um, he told me that when I was like nine years old. And, you know, Initially, he was really, you know, harsh with it. Um, as I grew older into like, you know, a teenager or whatever, he kind of, I think, tried to kind of recorrect, you know, how he initially approached me about my sexuality or whatever. Um, but he told me like, you know, like you being black, gay, and he even, he knew at an early age, I was going to probably be seven feet tall. Like, you're not going to be accepted in a lot of spaces. And I think in his mind, how he kind of, you know, visualize me being black and gay is that he thought I was going to be basically the next RuPaul. Like, you know, that was kind of like the pivotal figure of being black and gay in the 90s or whatever. So he thought I was going to be, I guess, walking around in drag, which is whatever. But his whole thing was like, how are you going to make it out in this world like that? Like, who is going to hire you looking like that? Who is going to, you know, no one is going to accept you in that way. And if you are bold enough to live that life, you have to be ready for that, you know? Um, and I didn't really understand it at that age. I thought he was just being an asshole. But as I grew older, I kind of got it a little bit. But he was doing the best, the best he knew how in terms of preparing me for life as an adult, you know, because he passed before I even turned. Hmm? 
I just love hearing you talk about this and and like Amen, you know Chris. the impact that it had on your life. Oh, and it's because it's because it's like my, I grew up. You know, I can relate so much to it because my dad was the same way. And you mm-hmm. and you have to put things into perspective of they they're giving you what they you know they're trying to they're trying to raise a child with the the tools they had that were given to them right. based on the time that they grew up in. Exactly. So I mean, you know, it, it takes a, it takes a lot of maturity to be able to look at that perspective and realize yeah. that like. Uh, like my dad, I'm I'm a little bit. How old are you, Chris? I'm 31. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. 40. I'm 44. Mm-hmm. So my dad grew up in the 60s, you know, and so mm-hmm. he had and he had three boys, raising them up in the 70s, you know, and mm-hmm. so him dealing with that, and he didn't have his dad growing up. So you know, you have right. to take all that into consideration. How a man raises. Uh, first of all, he tried to he raised his kids, not having a, a role model in the house with him. So mm-hmm. he he was doing that based on what how how what he thought a man is supposed to teach his children based on what he learned from society. So you mm-hmm. have to and so like now like he's been cool like he always made it clear that he loved me unconditional unconditionally and yeah. and everything. So when I when I came out you know and said I'm from the Sardinian men he wasn't shocked or surprised. He probably already mm-hmm. knew. Mm-hmm. You know he and he never like I think he initially when we were little tried to. You know, do what he thought was best. We should try to change that behavior because he probably felt like he probably had been taught that it was wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. and and that sort of thing. But so I mean, you know, he's evolved 100. percent I love my dad, and I mean, I'm I'm glad of the person that he became. He is, and so before as hell now. Yeah, before my uh, my dad passed, he passed when I was 17. Before he passed, you know, we had one of those heart heart, you know, father to son conversations, and he told me he was like, you know. No matter what, you know, gay, straight, in between, whatever, I love you. You know, you're my son, no matter what. And I will always say, even if I don't understand what's going on with you, you know, mentally or whatever, I will always love you, you know. Um, So we made our amends because, I mean, that that was one of the things growing up. Like, I always felt like I could never – I don't know. Like I, I could. I, I felt like like my father was ashamed of me growing up. You know, I feel like you know probably a lot of folks deal with that, regardless. You know, of your sexual identity, gender, whatever. But I felt like my father was always ashamed of me because he noticed that you know I wasn't a kid, even though I was this huge, tall kid. I didn't care about basketball. You know what I'm saying? I didn't care about going out here and doing all the stereotypical boy things. I wanted to read comics and play video games and draw. And occasionally watch Sailor Moon. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I found fun and enjoyable. And it was just like for him, it's like, why, why, why would you want to do this? So he didn't fully understand it. But at the end of the day, I was his son, you know, and he couldn't change that, you know. Praise um, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> I know. Right. I'm like, I'm Praise loving it. You know, because it's like, you know, you can't, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful story, man. I'm glad that your dad. Like, you know, even though he didn't understand, because I mean, it's hard to understand somebody that's different from you. It just mm-hmm. is. Whether you're black, white, gay, a man or a woman, it's mm-hmm. hard to understand somebody that's not like you. So he, he got it. He, yeah. he, he made sure that you knew that you were loved. And that's the main thing. That's, that's important. the most important thing. And I, I just, I, I got a lot of respect for him. And I appreciate the fact that you cool with people coming up wanting to talk about your height because people can't help. People are going to be curious. You're going to draw me. You were there with me at, um, you were there at me when at the Eagles. <laughs> you know, or at I the mean, brunch, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's so, I mean, I'm just glad that you're cool about it, man. And it's like, it's your, 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 your dad 
I mean, I know it. I don't. I know that he is so proud of you, and would have been mm -hmm. proud of you. And mm -hmm. even if you, I mean, like my mom, she grew up in this Alabama. You know, she's, you know, like she was probably ashamed to let her friends know she had a son that was gay because mm -hmm. they're they're really into this. Like, you know, you do what what you're supposed to do in tradition and all this bullshit that people have to stop. But mm -hmm. I'm sure your dad will be so proud of you, man, because I know yeah. I am. So yeah, mom. See, look, you turn this into a most emotional Ayana. I just want to point out one thing, Chris. Uh -huh. That a number of things that you said, mm -hmm. the Misfits sang songs about that. Really? <laughs> All black gay things. Oh, uh -huh. they did. Yeah, I I'll need to actually. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I actually need to catch myself up on some gym because, like, I I grew up in the gym era. Like, the gym came out in like what the mid eighties, late eighties, the early nineties, eighty six. So you know, I was born. I was born in eighty five. So okay, like, <laughs> I caught the tail end of the gyms, but I but I still recognize them as icons, you know, in in you know animated history or whatever. So yeah, but um. Well, this, so, yeah. um, I was gonna say yeah. Thanks for that, and um, I think we're gonna start to wrap it up. Uh, I'm gonna do a little uh, shout out uh, for our RuPaul's Drag Race hangout Thursdays after the Drag Race. And um, you know, if you subscribe to us on YouTube, you can get a notification when we go live for those. But our final segment uh, for the show is gonna be our check it out, which is basically. You know, a short news segment or something that you caught, something that uh, is bugging you this week that you've been telling people about, even though they don't really want to hear it. <laughs> or some sh uh, uh, shameless self-plugs. You know, you can always do that, too. <laughs> um, uh, you can find me on Poppy Chula Radio, on the Queen Sugar Show. Um, I think we... Um, I think we are on Monday evenings, I believe. I'll get the exact time. But yeah, Poppy Chulo Radio, your place for pop culture. It's wonderful. Please check it out. I was going to say, where can we find it? Like, is it like... Poppy, .com. Dot com. Okay. Okay. Yes. Very good. Can you guys hear me? Mm -hmm. Yes, we can. Uh, All sorry. right. Well, how can you spell up Poppy Chula? Because uh, I don't know how. P A P I C H U L O. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is EJ. I'm finally getting in. Um, <laughs> this is my first time, and so I'm kind of doing an audio audit and also just a general audit because there was a big discussion about this last night. So that's why I've been kind of in the view. If you don't know me, I'm EJ Flavors. Uh, EJFlavors.com. I've been a podcaster for about 10 years. So um, I handle a little bit of the technical stuff in the background. Sorry. So you'll see me there. Um, check out Bear, Late Night Bear Talk with me. Um, I hopefully I'll be launching it at tonight about 10. That's my shameless plug. I'm looking forward to speaking with um, Mr. Derek um, regarding that in more detail. Um, but I have to align that with his schedule. Um, and I must say that I really enjoyed to hear everything that the contributors did today, um, especially Chris being open and honest about himself. Um, um, Derek, Xavier, Gerald, 
Um, there was a few things that I missed because my phone went out, but I really enjoyed the last segment. That really was really, um, really great. Yeah. 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 It was so um, just on Father's. Lord, let me get my <laughs> tissues. Yeah. <laughs> so this is something like this. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I enjoy all you. I'm, I mean, I'm. I think we're about to close off. So I'm just gonna say happy belated birthday to our boy Derek Jones. Yeah, um, happy birthday! I'm gonna say um, national, but happy birthday to Jose Mojica, Oquendo Mojica. His his birthday yes. is today. He's one of our former um contributor, but he was definitely a lot with M3 in the past, and so. And happy birthday to Malcolm. What is it? Wednesday coming mm -hmm. up? Your birthday yeah. this week, Malcolm? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never believe he was a Virgo like me. <laughs> we love him. Yeah. I'm literally on the last day of Virgo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like on the cusp of Virgo and Libra, but you know, um, like. I'll go ahead. No, it's, it's literally the last day of summer, too, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, sure. Is. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the, I guess the other thing, I, um, you know, I had a bunch of friends' birthdays this week. I, I remember talking to someone about it that you might not know this, but um, Virgo and Libra are the most common zodiac signs in North America, at least. Mm. Um, more than fifty percent of all Americans are born between September first and October thirty-first. Mm. Like half of everybody. <laughs> so. It is just one of those things. Uh, a lot of people share because it. in the winter, all people do is stay in the house and fuck. Basically, yeah. Winter. Well, winter no, wait a minute. <laughs> it's true though. The weather gets a lot cooler around December, which is yeah. when most of the people in those two months, December and January, is when Our most North conceived. Americans are likely to conceive a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and for a lot of times, like I think that is actually one. You know, it's part of why like school years start. In September, you know, a lot of people have a lot of birthdays around that time. Um, they entered the school year right around their birthday. Mm -hmm. That's part of why it's kind of like that, because the majority of students are born around that time. Um, so it's just, a, you know, an interesting fact. <laughs> if you're wondering, like, there's, there's a shit ton of birthdays this week. I know, like, um, what's his name? Uh, Corey Drummond and I share a birthday. I know that, uh, I guess, Tuan, his birthday is today, too. Of a, I got a friend of mine. But, uh, yeah, a lot of birthdays happen this way. Um, I don't think if there was anything else. Like, yeah, premieres. Yeah, I was about to. Yeah. Add a few. Well, um, I know I brought up how to get away with murder earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, actually, uh, even though it's probably not like a brand new new premiere, but uh, season four of Luther just dropped on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Uh. It's only like two episodes, but they're like two yeah. damn good episodes. Uh, what else comes out this week? Uh, I mean, we already got. Does the Empire premiere? Uh, even though I know you already kind of yeah, it's cut it off. Thing. <laughs> also, um, Agents of Shield comes on Tuesday. Agents of Shield, yeah. So designated yeah. um, Survivor Wednesday. Mm -hmm. um, Does Luke Cage come out this week? The thirtieth. Yeah, that's uh, week out. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> that's the only thing that matters. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be hot too. Yeah. Um, 
Are you going to do a little Luke Cage recap? Because I, I always feel kind of weird doing recaps of Netflix shows because, you know, yeah. we'll go through a next Netflix show in like a day or two, three max. Um, yeah. But, you know, a lot of folks, you know, they take their time, you know. So I was thinking a week. A week. A reasonable, a reasonable yeah. amount of time. Amount, yeah. So, yeah. So if it premieres September 30th, you know, um, you know, October, whatever, the 6th, mm-hmm. you know, that Friday, the next Friday, we could do a recap. Mm-hmm. Um, how many how many episodes are there left of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race? They're on episode four. Four, I think. Okay, so four they have five. Eight. Is it usually like an eight-episode season? or we For the All-Stars, yeah. They're okay. usually shorter. Okay. So they'll probably be done by the end of October, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, well, but we'll definitely fit fit in Luke Cage. I know there's uh, there's quite a bit, like I said, uh, that's coming up. But like I said, uh, make sure to go to mailmediamind.com, uh, subscribe to us on our Facebook page. Uh, I usually post anytime we go live there, especially now through YouTube. It's fairly easy to actually uh, share those uh, from the YouTube page. Um, you know, we're still adjusting to the way. Um, you know, we get comments and questions in the Q&A because it used to pop up in our window, like, uh, you know, right where we're talking. But now we actually have to go back to the YouTube page to get those. But, um, you know, in lieu of using that, you can also tweet us at MailMediaMind. I don't know what, I still didn't know. I was trying to figure out what's going on. I thought it was my computer. No, no, no. <laughs> we switched over from um, Google to YouTube Live. Google is still the same. Oh, that's what's going on. Okay. Yeah. September 12th was the last day. So when we did the last Atlanta hangout, it switched over. So we've had a little practice with this new format because we've been doing so many show reviews over the past week. But yeah, from last Sunday, we were actually on a different platform. Okay. YouTube instead of Google Plus, which is, I got to say, great. I am never going on Google Plus ever again. (laughs) I really don't. I mean, I have some automatic updates from YouTube. Like every time I like or start a hangout or anything, it automatically posts to our Google Plus page. But beyond that, I just don't feel the need to ever go on there again. Mm. It's just boring. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, and I couldn't really get the notifications right and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, YouTube is our friend. Uh, it kind of works. I'm glad that it worked. Um, but yeah, we'll be back uh, Tuesday for the Atlanta recap, Wednesday. American Horror Story Thursday, RuPaul's Drag Race, and Friday, right. Mark is doing the uh, entertainment hangout. So, uh, you know, catch us online. We'll see you next week. Bada, bada. Yep. Peace. Thank you for listening to the M3 Bare Essentials podcast. If you'd like to learn more about M3, please visit us at mailmediamind.com. From there, you can find links to our social media accounts, such as YouTube where you can subscribe and get notifications when we record our podcast live. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week.